0: Okay, we're gonna be returning to Exodus chapter nineteen. Or actually we're going to Exodus nineteen. We're, getting, we're going from eighteen to nineteen. <laughs> I can't believe we don't get to hear the rest of your sermon from last. That was a long game before last week. Yeah, so I know. We, we did the like, six weeks or something on that <laughs> yeah. that section, so that was <laughs> <eight
1: minutes.
0: laughs> I'm hoping to, yeah, my next sermon, maybe I'll finish the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I have no idea why I thought I was going to get as far as I did. Yeah, it was just like a... It was great. It was really good so. stuff. All right, before we look at Exodus 19, let's pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for the fellowship that we have here in you. We thank you for the gifts of being able to travel as the pinners have been able to do and to return back to fellowship with us here, and also as the Simmons, as they'll be gone for the next few weeks. We pray that it would be a joyous time with family, time to delight in you and being your witnesses, uh, even to the ends of the earth as they travel to other countries. We pray, especially now for our time in your word that you would teach us the truth that is here, that we would know you as you are and that as we see you as you are in your holiness, that we would be conformed to that holiness and that we would be excited about the knowing of your name and the proclamation of your name throughout the world as is your purpose for creating us. Amen. Exodus chapter 19 beginning in verse 1. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on this day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Then they set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Now Moses went up to God and Yahweh called to him from the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I lifted you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So now then, If you will indeed listen to my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which Yahweh had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that Yahweh has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to Yahweh. Yahweh (laughs) said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. And Moses told the words of the people to Yahweh. Yahweh also said to Moses, Go to the people and set them apart as holy today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, Yahweh will come down on Mount Sinai and the sight of all the people and you shall set bounds for the people all around saying, beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountains shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or surely shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and set the people apart as holy. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So it happened on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because Yahweh descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder and Yahweh came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and Yahweh called Moses to the top of the mountain And Moses went up. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, Go down, warn the people lest they break through to Yahweh to see, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to Yahweh set themselves apart as holy, lest Yahweh break out against them. And Moses said to Yahweh, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain and set it apart as holy. Then Yahweh said to him, go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to Yahweh, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and he told them. Now, you know that as we've gone through Exodus, we've talked about how it's the book of the names who are about the name. That's the revealing of God's name. This is uh, the Doctrine of God 101 class, and there's certain things that he emphasizes about his name as it keeps building here in the book of Exodus, and what do you think it is about God's name nature that's being emphasized here in Exodus 19? Because I hear several awesome sure. revelations here. God's faithfulness is one. Mm-hmm. His promises, but then I also see that the awesome power of God, the exalted uh, status.
1: Mm-hmm. Is the standard? Yeah,
0: definitely. His his authority being communicated. His faithfulness, all of these things. His holiness made it very clear that it will be done his way, and there will be, and he lest the Lord break out against them if they try to do it their way. He's already done it. Yeah, and that and that's the key thing. Is God's holiness and everything else that we're talking about is, is part of that. So within his His holiness, you know, when we think of God's holiness, we usually think of you know, His morality. You know, He doesn't sin. And that's part of another part of God's holiness is not just morality, but the His, his majesty. So when we study God's holiness, we're we're looking at His majestic holiness as well as His moral holiness. And we see that here in the, it's it's a holy authority. It's a holy faithfulness. Uh, It's a a holiness which causes people to to genuinely fear him and to recognize that uh, the way that you come to him and the way that you think of him and uh, respond to him has to be unique, and it has to be according to his holy majesty. You can't approach him like you can approach anything else. And as God's revealing his, his covenant name, you, you are seeing his faithfulness to his creation purpose, to, to make his name known. And that that is what is being fruitful and multiplying here, as he has made the sons of Israel, to be fruitful and multiply for that purpose so that they could disciple and evangelize the nations. And early on in Scripture, we know that God made a covenant promise which is being fulfilled, which was the Abrahamic covenant. So you remember the the building of the covenants here in Scripture, we have the Noahic creation covenant, which is God's promise that everything has to follow on the the railroad tracks leading to rest. Everything in history has to culminate in God's rest. That's where it starts and that's where it ends. But then after mankind falls out of that, you could think of what, what we read here, you could think back to Adam was supposed to listen to God's voice and keep the garden, but he didn't listen to God's voice and he lost the garden which is not only a garden it's actually a mountain it was the mountain of god which you can see it's like well how does you know water flow four ways from this one place because it's higher than all the other places you know it's it's the capital city from which the blessing is to flow everywhere else on the world it's not only a physical attribute of the land but it's also a symbolic teaching tool as well so when we're coming to the mountain of god it's like well how do you, how do you approach to go back into eden how do you go back into the presence of god because when adam came out of eden it, and he looked back what did he see yeah flaming swords yeah even the the best of the like american gladiator people couldn't get through that and the, this was like beyond those tough mutter challenges and the spartan races and all sorts of stuff i mean it's a whole angel army with some gyroscope flaming sword thing in front of it and it's a, you know who can go back to you know the mountain garden of god back into his presence so well if you try to do that on your own, in your own strength, and in your own way, you will surely die. The only one who can take you back in there is God. The the Holy One that's represented by the flame of judgment is the only one who, who can make you able to have access back to him, you see? So God promises and you know, the Abrahamic patriarch covenant, that uh, all of that can be restored. The the land that you are in, being back in, under God's blessing and being his people, it is all going to be restored. And it's going to happen through this one man and the blessing of creating this nation that's going to be a blessing to all of the other nations. And as we went through Exodus 18, we were we were seeing how Israel, was fulfilling that role in both negative and positive ways so the king amalek shows up and tries to attack him because he sees a bunch of cranky grumbling people out in the wilderness It's like this is a great time to just slaughter them but what happens is that they get slaughtered because god promised i'll curse those who curse you but so you see their negative impact even though they they're not even really totally aware of you know, God doing that. You know, they, they don't believe in him and they don't listen to him. Which makes you wonder, will anybody believe or listen to him? And then Moses' father-in-law, Gentile Jethro comes along and he hears about all of this stuff that happened with Israel from the Red Sea to the wilderness grumblings. And you know, he blesses God. He's like, the God who puts up with people like you and rescues you guys is amazing. And then he ends up blessing Israel by blessing Moses with some good counsel on how to minister to the people. So the the blessing moves in a positive way rather than like a negative way with Amalek. And you're you're seeing the the purpose of the law working out in this. We we talked about how the the number one thing that the law does is that it instructs, but it, it instructs by pointing out our sinfulness and pointing to God's goodness and that he's the only one that can save us. And you're seeing that happen within Israel, that it's, it's pointing out their sinfulness. It's pointing out their lack of holiness. And the nations are seeing this and they're seeing those people are unholy. Their God is holy and he won't even tolerate unholiness from his, his chosen people which in a way is like a warning shot to all the other nations. Because he's saying, if I'll do this to these people, my chosen people, I'll do it to you too. So it's a way to instruct everybody who exists through Israel about God's holiness. The purpose of the Exodus, if you remember, was sung about in the Song of Moses in Exodus 15 and part of that says terror and dread fall upon them by the greatness of your arm they are still as stone until your people pass over oh Yahweh until people pass over whom you have purchased you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance you see that you know that sounds a lot like God planting a man in the garden but now he's planting you know a nation at the mountain. And, and he also calls it you know, the sanctuary. The sanctuary, O oh Lord, which your hands have established. Where was that? that was Exodus 15, 16, and 17. Yeah. You guys are always free to, to stop me. And this is gonna turn into a two-week thing, I think, again. <laughs> uh, in Exodus 19... God instructs Moses to instruct the sons of Israel with, you, you could think of it as like the preamble to their constitution or it's their mission statement which he gives them in verses four through six which we're going to look at. And the constitution of this nation which is being created it's. Like, they were dead in Egypt, but now they're being resurrected into being in the third month with preparations for the third day. And so you see all this resurrection language built into this, a theology of the third day and people going up, being built out here. And, you know, as we talked about all the things that are revealed about God, we recognize it's multifaceted. It's emphasizing his holiness, but... You're also seeing his grace for a people that didn't deserve it uh, you're seeing these people that they don't they don't have any faith in God at all they don't believe in him you know e- even though you read that uh, statement I right, think about how these people lived up to this point and then all of a sudden they say all that Yahweh has spoken we will do we know that that's not what happened before and that's not what happens afterwards either but what you're you're seeing is how sinful man misinterprets the law they they hear the law and they say okay we'll do it we'll give it a try that's it that's not the point of it the point of it to, is to show you you cannot do this which is and Moses is getting that uh, In verse 23, Moses said to Yahweh, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. (laughs) They don't have the ability. It's not possible, but that's what the law teaches them. That's what it is to instruct them in. But you see this people, they don't listen. But you see, they don't have the ability to listen. They couldn't listen and they didn't want to. And God in all of this is showing his his majestic holiness that he's the the transcendent one who's above everything but he's also the imminent one who is with his people and he brings his revelation through his prophet to show his authority and wisdom something i don't i don't know that we talked about this but the way that this is Structured is we have this six plus one pattern. We had six events, and this is the seventh. So we had water, manna, and meat. And then we had the, the Sabbath introduced, God the rock, and then Jethro is saved. And then after those six events, the seventh one anticipates instruction about God's rest instruction about going back in to being God's people in God's place. But you see, what they learn here is that's dangerous. (laughs) Uh, They're looking at the most stable things that they can possibly think of in, in creation. Rocks, mountains. You know, these things don't normally glow red or smoke or move, or shake. (laughs) You see, the most stable things that you can possibly think of seem like they're going to to just fall to pieces, That we can't go there. But their only source of deliverance is the greatest source of danger, which is before them. And so you see from the very beginning that Mount Sinai is a place of both blessings and curses from the very beginning here. And within the first three verses, you see there's timing, geography, and genealogy that's all important to consider. Timing was that this is in the third month, which is showing God at work in history. He'd given them a new calendar. In the first month, it starts with Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was built in their calendar to teach them and to remind them of certain theological truths. It's also building on the creation structure where you have two sets of three, where in the first three days, God formed something, and then the next three days he fills it. And what's happening here is that God is forming a nation that he's going to fill in the future. While they're being formed here, the filling piece of that's going to happen with the tabernacle later. But we also want to recognize the geography. In verse two, they're at Rephidim again. They're they're close to the mountain. You know, they're they're in the, the foothills, and they're at the place wherein God reveals himself. Here I, I told you the the Hebrew word for bush is Sinai. And it's exactly here at you know Mount Bush that God revealed himself to Moses back in Exodus 3. And in Exodus 3:12. God said to Moses, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God at this mountain. Where we're at now is, it's fulfilled. Exactly what God said. And what Moses sees is God is faithful. He kept his promise. It, it happened exactly like he said it would all the way from Exodus 3 to here at 19 now. And Moses went up to God and Yahweh called him from the mountain and addresses a particular genealogy. He says, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, this guy who was a a schemer, a squirrel. And God remade him. He, he renamed him into Israel. He renamed him God fights for you. And we see here God's faithfulness from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Moses to the sons of Israel. But we expect God to at some point do that same sort of recreation work in these people who they fight against God, but he comes in and decides to fight for them instead of against them. And these verses four through six, we could spend multiple Sunday school lessons just on these verses, which are the the preamble to their nation's constitution, or it's like their mission statement. And notice it doesn't just start with, This is who you guys are and what you're supposed to do. You know, a lot of times you maybe you have worked somewhere and they have a mission statement and it starts with, you know, we are this and we do this thing. But notice how this one starts, this mission statement starts in verse four. It says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I lifted you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You see that this forming of this covenant here begins with who God is and what he has done. You know, your mission is to know me and to make me known. And what you need to make known is that when I bring my salvation, some get destroyed and others get delivered. But I delivered you instead of destroying you. So now then, in verse 5, you see a condition within this, which is unique within the Mosaic Israelite covenant. It says, if, if you will indeed listen to my voice, which we already know that they can't do that. They haven't been doing that. They don't want to do that. They don't have the ability to do that, which is part of what it's supposed to teach. It's the instruction covenant. It says, if you will indeed listen to my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Now this covenant is... Unique amidst all the covenants that God makes with man in scripture. And that this one isn't just where God promises he's gonna do something by himself, but now he's putting a condition on the other side of the covenant for the people. He says, if you do this, then this covenant is fulfilled. Then you'll be my treasured possession among all the peoples. And then he gives this gracious reminder that, he's the one who does what he wants with what is his, that he can do stuff like that, where he says, for all the earth is mine. Now, who, who has the Lord already taught that truth to at this point in scripture? This is what last Sunday's sermon was about. Yeah, he taught Pharaoh and the Egyptians, all the earth is mine. I, I do what I want with what is my stuff. This is also true, as, you know, Moses is learning about this from the Lord. And, you know, Moses is getting, this is a stubborn, stiff-necked people. They won't listen to, to anything. But then when he hears, for all the earth is mine, is it, this is the God who does what he wants with Pharaoh, and he can do what he wants with these people. Uh, just like he, if he wanted to destroy those people, and he did it for the glory of his name. He wants to deliver these people and he's going to do it for the glory of his name because everything's his. He's sovereign over everything. Now, this covenant, having it's going to have stipulations on the other party and it's also important to note and we'll repeat often throughout the next several weeks. This is the only not everlasting covenant in scripture. Every other covenant is everlasting. This one isn't. It it serves a temporary purpose, which is why our Bibles historically have been divided out into Old Testament, New Testament. There, There was this old temporary covenant that was really highly in view throughout that time in history until the new covenant comes and the whole old covenant goes away. It has served its purpose in being an instruction covenant, and it still gives the same instruction, but what changes is the administration. You know, it's not Moses the administrator, but the the greater prophet than Moses who becomes the the, the law upholder and the mediator that he was pointing to, because that's what the law does. It, It points to the greater than Moses. The only mediator between God and man. I thought you were gonna ask a question. Yeah. This is the third, number two. I don't know off the top of my head. I have to pull out a calendar. <laughs> it's not February though, I know that. No, I thought it was Yeah, I don't know that there's an event in between those. It's wilderness month. (laughs) So the purpose of this covenant is to make God known in relationship uh, to Israel, to the nations, to make known who he is and what he does. It's not to be misunderstood as a as a code of conduct, but it's to be a declaration of who God is, that he's a deliverer who delivers, that people can only be saved by his grace alone. And within this particular historical moment, what people were accustomed to when they entered into a covenant, with some other king, what would happen was a a king would come into some other nation and they would just totally wipe out everybody and make them bow the knee by force to them and then write to them some sort of declaration and saying, you know, in seeing how I have defeated you and totally destroyed you and taken you unto myself and have graciously let you live, now you can be my slaves. You're welcome. But this is very different because people see what this, what King Yahweh has done is he didn't destroy these people, but he destroyed their enemies. And then he delivered them out and he makes them slaves, but he doesn't do it by force. This is all of grace and a, a love which they don't even want. And so it's magnifying the graciousness of God and showing how he's not like the other kings that they were so familiar with who would just dominate rather than rescue. And with this gracious redemption, they're not brought under God, but they're brought to him. You see that? That's different. He doesn't say, I brought you under me because I stomped all over you. He says, but instead what I did was I stomped all over your enemies and I brought you to me to be with me and to be brought into my missionary plan that others would be brought to me as well. And all of this is tied into Israel's mission to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant of being a blessing to the nations as Israel's uniquely set apart to make the holiness of God known to the world, which we largely at this point in scripture see that negatively because they're judged for their unholiness. You think, you know, in Leviticus with Nadab and Abihu or the whole book of Numbers. You know, the nations are being taught the holiness of God and how he responds to the unholiness of Israel. But it's also taught positively when they're they're blessed for their obedience under this covenant, which you see in the kingdom of Israel's golden age under Solomon for a time, And we will see in the future kingdom to come. And so the nation of Israel has a special and unique status, which it's reiterated in Deuteronomy 26, 18 and 19 this way. Yahweh has today declared you to be his people, a treasured possession as he promised you and that you should keep all his commandments, and that he will set you high above all nations, which he has made for praise, a name, and beauty, and that you shall be a holy people to Yahweh your God as he has spoken. So you see, part of God's plan is to have a government that he's head over, that it moves through being administered through the sons of Israel to the nations but it's praise for him to display his name to display beauty which the the biblical concept here of of beauty is that it's synonymous with truth what is true is beautiful it's not the thing that you think all oh, that that looks beautiful but what's what's actually beautiful is what is true in scripture <laughs> and within this you you can see God's missionary heart and that he wants to raise up a people for evangelism and discipleship it says what you shall be to me a kingdom of priests now when you think about priest in Israel what do you think of yeah i think just just the Levites. But he's saying you're to be a kingdom of priests, not just some of you, but, you know, the idea is that even though there's this, you know, maybe you call it a, a, a subset within Israel of these particular Levitical priests, he says, you're all to be a kingdom that's priestly. You know, what what they minister to you, you minister to others. You know, this is the, the structure that he gives. It's not just well, that's just reserved for the Levites. And you think, well, you know, God set it up to where, you know, those guys get paid to do ministry. And the rest of us, you know, we work six days a week. (laughs) But he said, this should just describe all of you. You're to all be uh, ministers of who God is to others, to proclaim his name, to mediate his blessing to the other nations. And that's exactly what Israel's purpose was for all of humanity. To be God's people and God's land, mediating God's blessing and God's garden temple kingdom. And this nation was to be a holy nation. True know that idea of holiness is that it's set apart. It's set apart to the absolute lordship of the Lord in all of life, that they were to be instructed in his holiness and instructors and examples of that holiness so that they would be disciple-making disciples, so that they would immerse other people into the name. And this word nation, they're called a holy nation, is an interesting Hebrew word that you guys might have heard, goy, or the plural form is goyim, which is translated later in scripture as Gentiles or the nations. So you're like, why are you calling the Israelites the same word as everybody else? <laughs> you see, I think there can be a tendency on our part because we see the misinterpretation of the Jews in the New Testament, where they see this separation between Jews and Gentiles. When you go back and you read the revelation they were given, that wasn't the case. They were called the same thing. But it's like, well, well, what was the distinction? It wasn't just that they would be you know, a nation like any other nation, but they would be a holy nation. They would be a set-apart nation that would be unique among all the other nations. They would be in a different category as holy, but they would be in a similar category as nation. So Jew and Gentile were were always meant to be reconciled as one man. It was never the intention for it to be, you know, two different sort of things ever, which... Should also be obvious, even just in the interaction of Moses and Jethro. You know, Moses doesn't say, "You know, there's a wall between us," <laughs> but they're always meant to have that sort of fellowship together. This is—you could think of, you know, all of this in uh, you know, Genesis 12. Abraham's told he's going to be a great nation, be blessing to the other nations in order to. Restore Genesis one and two. This is Israel's foreign nations program. You know they're they're to mediate God's name. Their political framework would be an image of the government to come that would rest upon the shoulders of the promised seed of the woman. But it, it's something that we see in Scripture that it it points beyond itself. You know it doesn't all happen right here but it points that there's this blessing that's to come it's like well how do we know that it's going to come it seems like it's been a really long time and we count slowness but to God a, a thousand years is like a day and he's not slow to fulfill his promises but he's bringing all of his people to repentance as he's promised so God carries out his purposes intentionally they're inseparable from the people that he's made them to and they're international. And we see also that this is God's revelation through God's prophet. He says, These are the words. These are words which were spoken, which were later written and read. And they're words that are about how Israel can fulfill the the universal climax of the abrahamic covenant as god said in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed and say you know in you all the other nations shall be kept at arm's length and made to know that they just can't ascend to where you have the purpose of this covenant is that god establishes covenant relationship to make covenant representatives is the point. He, he brings them into this relationship with them so that he can have them represent who he is to the nations. It's about him making himself known to them so that they would make himself known to others. This is similar to you know the sort of concept we read in Titus 2.14 talks about Jesus who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession zealous for good works. But we want to you want to see the order in that. They were redeemed from lawlessness and purified before they were zealous for good works. It doesn't it doesn't work the other way around where you work yourself up to like okay now I'm zealous for good works. And that makes me not lawless and pure now. It, has, it works the other way around. God has to take care of the lawlessness problem and the impurity problem first. And I'm sure you're all aware as Peter, he picks up on this same text here in Exodus 19. We can turn there in 1 Peter 2, 9. I want you to see how he quotes and... Uses this text, 1 Peter 2, 9. He says, but you are a chosen family. He's you know, he's talking to the, the new covenant church here. You are a chosen family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Well, why why is that? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him, who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He says, "Why had God made them, this chosen family, royal priesthood? What was the purpose of that?" Yeah, to proclaim who He is, and and it's based on who He is and what He has done. It's like, well, what do you what are you proclaiming? He's called us. Uh, out of darkness into His marvelous light. When I think of a you know, a, f- a friend that I uh, recently made. That he he's a newer believer. Uh, he's he's older. Uh, he his, his life is everything Johnny Cash ever sang about. But then the Lord saved him, and he's trying to figure out how do I explain this to people. Uh, and uh, the way that I explained it to him was, well, what happened was you went to your own funeral. Like, who you were died, but now Christ has been, his life has been resurrected in you, and that's what's coming out of you. He said, that's what I'm going to tell my old drinking buddies. I'm going to tell them I went to my own funeral. I know what to tell them now. You see, it's it's this idea that we proclaim his excellencies, that Christ makes the dead live, those who were in darkness brought into his marvelous light. And then, quoting from Hosea, he says, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, so Well, so how do you live? What are you kind of expecting here, knowing what happens in Exodus 19? Or they just called and said, well, now that God's done that, you can just, you know, live however, just enjoy it. That's what happens. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. He says, you haven't come out of that status yet. Uh, you're still sojourners and ex- exiles to, to living in Eden, to, to, to living in God's presence. Or you're, you're sojourners and ex- exiles from heaven. That's where you're exiled from. And he says, but while, while you're there, he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from fleshly lust. Which wage war against the soul by keeping your conduct excellent among the Gentiles. So now he's you know, looking at you know, the church you know, as a whole being called a holy nation and talking about them living among <laughs> the Gentiles. But it's it's the idea of holiness, because God is holy. You're, you're waging war against the struggle with unholiness, but now you want to demonstrate. That holiness lived out with excellent conduct, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good works as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. There's a lot of interesting things that happens with this little quote here, and a lot of ink that's been spilled on it. But, uh, it's Hosea 2.23. Sometimes I like to just say Hosea and then you just have to read the whole thing to find it. Because you know? that, that way I kind of force you into the context. <laughs> <laughs> <use> the context. <laughs> You'll notice there, there's a change in the wording in Exodus to 1 Peter. Uh, instead of saying calling them a kingdom of priests, he calls them a royal priest priesthood, which is an interesting change and this is the best that I understand it, which reserves me the right to explain it a different way in the future if I learn better and differently. But the best that I understand that is what that does for moving from kingdom of priests to a royal priesthood is it, it removes that political element that Israel had as a particular kingdom from the church. But it doesn't forfeit God's plan to still use Israel as a part of His future kingdom government. One of the ways that I came to that conclusion was looking at the the final Exodus when you get to Revelation, Revelation one six. It's it's coming back to focusing on God's plan for Israel to say, "I'm going to fulfill all of those covenants, and this is how it's going to work." But it's moving, you know, past. The, the church age that we live in now and explaining all of that. And in Revelation 1, 6, it says, he has made us to be a kingdom of priest to his God and father. This says, that's what he, he made us to be, but we weren't that and we haven't become that yet. But it's looking at it in Revelation chapter 1 as something that's future from that point that God still has to fulfill. And so... You see Israel maintaining still being a political entity, but the church isn't that. But they're going to be related within that. Uh, This is... How much time do I have to talk about Revelation? Revelation chapter 5. Listen to this. This is Revelation 5, 8, and 10. says, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and purchased people for God with your blood, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you made them to be a kingdom of, a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. This is, God still has a kingdom purpose with, with Israel, with the church, and the people are going to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they're going to reign upon the earth. You know They're not going to uh, float away, gain 200 pounds in a 10-string harp and sing Amazing Grace for a really long time. But God's plan has to deal with you know, this earth. It's, it's physical. Uh, he's going to redeem what was lost. You know, he's going to give a recompense. He's going to achieve recompense for his people for what was lost. From what Satan stole, he's going to give it all back. But he's going to fix it all in the process. That's all the stuff we're talking about with Revelation. We'll get lost. (laughs) But one of the things we've talked about is how you see the three stages of the Exodus. Exodus is the first book on Exodus. John is the second Exodus book, and Revelation is the third and final. And so you see lots of connecting points through those. And... Throughout this text, we think about what what we refer to as a theophany. You know, God showing up through things like fire, smoke, thick cloud. You you can't see him, but there's these things that represent him. And you remember that happened when the, the Abrahamic covenant was ratified. You know, there's fire, there's smoke. There's things that are taught to Abraham through that. When Moses learns about Yahweh, there's fire. And now here there's fire and smoke again. And so it's a, you know, the, the revelation that comes for these sort of things, teaching about the presence of God is showing the sons of so, sons of Israel, this is your ancestry. You're seeing what Abraham saw. You're seeing what Moses saw. And you should be learning what they learned. And you know, up to this point, you know, some of the things that we've seen revealed about Yahweh's name is that he's creator, controller, that he's self-defining, that he's self-existent, he's self-sustaining, he's unchanging, relational, faithful. He's sovereign even over evil. He's a destroyer and a deliverer. And then what's added here is his holiness. And he demands that holiness, but he also makes holy, which is an important point that we're just going to have to close on to as you think about how you understand this coming to the giving of the law, the giving of what we know as the Ten Commandments. Now, a, a lot of times, the law, the Ten Commandments is... Misinterpreted as this. This is how you become holy. Uh, this is how you get closer to God. I was listening to a sermon last night that that's you know that's how the preacher took this whole text. You know, God gave this law to make the people holy, which is exactly what the the Judaizers said in Galatians. It's like, man, if you guys really want to be like super good Christians. You need the law to make you holy. But what Paul says is, you know, it's Christ. It's Christ who saves you. Christ who changes you into his likeness. He's the one who who holies you, which is what's happening, you know, even within uh, Exodus 19, uh, verse 10. You can just listen to this one. Yahweh also said to Moses, go to the people and set them apart as holy today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. you're You're always going to see that order in scripture that there's something else that makes them holy and then they do the good works that follow, like washing their garments. It doesn't work the other way around where it says, tell them to wash their garments and to make themselves holy and then show up. He says they're set apart as holy first and then the cleansing process begins and it happens. And that God does that himself and he uses a mediator, which I won't leave you in a mystery. I will tell you it's Jesus. (laughs) You have to make us read the New Testament. Yeah, it's not that, you know, don't think that Moses was that mediator. You know, that was one of the, you know, kind of the confusions of the, the Pharisees. Like, but we follow Moses and he he has mediated for us. Is like, no, what Mo- Moses did was he pointed. He he instructed you that you you need that mediator and that it's somebody else, it's not him. And that he wasn't even good enough to get into to Canaan. Uh, You're going to need, it's like, Moses was great, most humble man ever, but he couldn't even go into the land of Canaan. It's like, we're going to need a better guy than that. That guy was obviously not the right guy, but he he had a purpose in which it was to to point, which is why, have I ever drawn for all of you my big covenant charts with the railroad and the train tracks and the trains and... Okay, you you've seen that before. I don't have you to bring you Yeah, rail railroad tracks, no way Noah Covenant. Everybody everything has to move to rest on it. Abrahamic covenant is the train parts of uh land, seed, and blessing. But the problem is you can't you can't even get in the train. And so how do you get there? Well, Moses drives the taxi. And on the side of the taxi it says, do this and live. You just got to get in it and ride it. That's it. But you go to open the doors and they're welded shut. I can't even get in the thing to get there. And so Moses saying, you're going to need a better taxi. (laughs) You're going to need somebody better than me to get you there. My purpose was just to show you you can't do it. (laughs) And to point to you, you're going to need another taxi. You're going to need somebody else to drive you to that train. That's as much as I'll tell you about all the other ones. We'll miss Dave's sermon. So any any questions as we close there? Well, not a question, but I was thinking when you were talking about this use of the language of royal, royal priest or kingdom of priest, that's it's inherently Messianic because only Christ unites these two aspects of who we are, being the King, who possesses all authority, and the perfect mediator as priest. Well. Mm. So yeah, I was yeah. thinking about how yeah, being in Christ validates or ratifies this identity that we have. Yeah, yeah, and and our 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 royalty comes by being adopted into the King's family. You know, not because of achievement. All right, well, I, uh, I'll i close us in, in prayer. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for your word in which you reveal yourself to us in your great holiness and faithfulness and calling a people to yourself, not only to know you, but to have the privilege of making you known to others and to proclaim your redeeming love in our lives. we pray that you would help us to, rightly understand what is revealed here in scripture in connection to ourselves and our future hope in you. Do we not have any misunderstanding about the revelation of your law word, but to understand its purpose, to point us to you and your goodness and that you are the, the God who is right and makes right. That you do the things that you have commanded graciously in our lives and that salvation is by your promise and your work alone. I pray that you would grow in our hearts a gratitude for the salvation you've freely given us, that you would increase in us a, a holy witness for your name among the nations. For here we learn not only who you are, but our identity in you as a royal priesthood. And we pray that we would be faithful in the evangelism tasks that you have given us to make you known. Amen.